around you and uh, tell them good morning. Well, good morning, church. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to One Seat Church. If this is your first time visiting us. We're so glad to have you. You've been here before. Linda, welcome back. Good to see you. Everybody, we're so glad to see you. If you missed last week, we talked about faithless thinkers, Debbie Doubters, not Debbie Downer, Debbie the Doubter. And that usually Debbie Doubter is also a Debbie Downer. And that when we inhabit the spirit of God as in our life and in our heart as a temple for the almighty God. We're not designed to live in fear or doubt. We're designed to live in joy, faith, strength, and should not be intimidated. Our vision here at 1C Church is for you to discover God's perfect plan made just for you. We think that collectively we each have individual plans God designed and collectively is how we execute the Great Commission together through the synergy of what we each do best. That's why we call it one seed. Each person has a seed they receive. We spread the seed, of, which is the word of God, to the next person, and we replicate the word through people by bearing seed and reaping harvest. But, you know, we're in a high school, and I'll be honest. I know some of you are in high school. I did not like, I hated school, okay? I hate to, I hate to say the H word. There's very few things that I did not really like very much. School was one of them from the time I was in kindergarten until late college before I finally kind of liked it. I got teased a lot and would find any reason to be absent, stay home with my mommy. I was the baby, and I just liked being with my mom. I didn't have a lot of friends, and uh, I got teased for, for different reasons. And so I grew, I grew accustomed to wanting to be absent at school. And as I got older, it went from having to have stomach aches and reasons to be absent to, I'm just going to leave school because I can drive now. <laughs> I can just get up and go. And uh, I'm, not in, I'm not encouraging that. Don't ever do that, by the way. That's bad. But that's what I did. And I remember specifically, uh, I had this gym class that I loved gym because by late high school, I was more athletically inclined and gym was an easy A. And I took it like three, four times, like just for the for the fun of it, and I'd just go home whenever I wanted, and Miss Robertson would always catch me. She was an elderly lady. She was single. Her name was Miss Robertson, and she talked just like this. She'd see me on the foyer walking out to my car. Miss Jin Jim class again, Jeff. And I, don't, I think I said something like, sorry about that, and I just kept walking because I really didn't care at that point. I knew I had the power to do what I wanted. I was about to graduate. 
But being in the school here, you know, we're in a high school, it brought back a lot of those memories of wanting to be absent all the time throughout my entire school career. From the time I first came in the building, where they had me sit to meet somebody is in the counselor's office. So that was weird. And I felt like a kid again. And I immediately felt that intimidation of teachers. And when people talked to me, I felt like I was going to go to detention. And then I had to remind myself, I'm 39. And this is a church. This is not high school anymore. So then I come back to reality. I even have nightmares to this day that I go back to school. True story. Not that the others weren't. I go back to school, and I have to take science again. And I miss too many classes, and I flunk, and I can't get out of high school. And I wake up in cold sweat. And then I have the nightmare again, and every time I have the nightmare, it's because I'm absent over and over and over in the dream. I can't get past science class for some reason. And I wake up, and I look over, and I see my beautiful wife, and I remember I have four children, and then I'm not in school anymore. And I thank God, thank you, Jesus. And then it happens again a few months later. I'm not really sure what that's about, but I just have this chronic uh, reoccurrence of being absent. You see, we can be physically present in church or anywhere, but absent in our heart. Consistent absence towards any relationship creates a void in that relationship. If you're absent long enough, it can become a permanent separation. We have to target the underlying reason the obstruction that is creating our absence in these situations, not what we say why we're absent. Why are we really absent? There's a difference. We go to Ephesians. Paul's talking here in chapter 3, verse 14 through 20. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See, it's, it's all God's. Everything we see is God's that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, in here. Through his glory, to be strengthened through his spirit. See, we have to have his spirit to be strengthened. That was last week. We don't have doubt. That Christ may dwell in you by his spirit, in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the actual width and length and depth and height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? In order to be full, you got to be filled. If you're filled, you can be full. But if you don't get filled, you can't be full. You want the fullness of God, you have to be filled with God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Paul's got a pretty good outlook on the love of Christ in his life. I would say it's kind of like overachiever compared to the way we we look at it in in today's culture. We We don't really talk or act like this, and if you do, people think you're weird. Weird is not always a bad thing. Weird is sometimes good. It just means different, but not always bad. Sometimes if you're not weird... You're just like everybody else, so what makes you unique? You see, the absence of your heart in your relationship with God will prevent you from finding fulfillment. It's that simple. It's, that, it's, not, it's not an attendance record that gets you to heaven in church. 
It's not about tradition and attendance. It's about were you present in your heart? Did you evolve an actual relationship with God Almighty? And if you're absent in your heart, you'll never find fulfillment because you have to connect at the heart, which is what is the root of all relationships. So why is that? Why do we, what am I talking about here, Jeff? You can be physically present in a lot of situations, but if you're not here in the situation, you're not really there. Your body's there, but you're not there. And it's easy. It's easy to get consistent at being inconsistent. That's the one thing I would say I do really good in my life is I'm consistently all over the place. And I got, I got the best reasons in the world. I mean, I can fall into a rut over, uh, you know, a distraction from, from my cell phone texting me. I can be distracted by the TV. I can just be distracted by anything because culture kind of demands it, right? Cell phones, email, computers, people. People are kind of, we don't really do person. We don't do face-to-face at home. We, we're all technology there. If you want to talk to me, text me, okay? That's one reason I'm always distracted when you're talking to me is because I'm looking it's something else. It's kind of our culture. We're bred to be spread so thin that we can never be fully present anymore in one thing and do it well. We're being trained to be robots, essentially. This is not in my notes. But Amazon, a few years ago, you like how I told you it's not in my notes. This is because my brain just said it. Amazon, a few years ago, almost went bankrupt because they tried to do so many things. They had rakes, books, Music, this was late 90s. I had to write my college graduation paper on them. And they went bankrupt because they were trying to do so many things that the culture couldn't receive that idea. And so they didn't know what to go buy from Amazon. This idea of you go to one place to buy everything didn't exist yet. They were ahead of the time. But they over-diversified, they call it. It's like a diversified, diversified portfolio in stocks. You've got a plethora. So it's really hard to really put all your eggs in one area because you're spreading it out. That's kind of how we're doing our, our, our relationships with people and with God today. That's, that's like the Western culture. That's, that's how, it, how it is here. That's how you go to the store. Everything is interactive. You can go online and talk to Walmart. You can chat with somebody. You can go to the store and actually see a person. But they're using the computer anyway. And then they're going to pull up the email. And they're going to do the, they're going to, you know, it's just all over the place where your, your head starts spinning. So I'm justified to be inconsistent with everything, including my relationship I'm seeking with God. I used to work with my brother years ago, and we had an old joke, or he called it one. I didn't really laugh. At 2 p.m., here comes Flippy. That's what I hear. I'm working in a 100-degree warehouse in Chesterfield Valley with no air conditioner, concrete, metal roof, and I hear my brother say, oh, it's almost 2. Here comes Flippy. He's talking about me. You see, at 2 o'clock, I would mentally shut down. I would be so mentally absent that I would become so cranky that I would become, I guess, jerky to my, my bigger brother, and I would check out. I wasn't there because I couldn't ascertain anything. I couldn't keep my thoughts together. I really just needed a bed at like 2 to 4 o'clock every day, and I would have been good. But I became absent, so I became unfruitful, and I also became bitter and very difficult to be around. And nowadays, I can honestly say by 39, I'm no longer flippy, but I still have this problem at 2 p.m. when I'm staring at my computer after run, 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 run all day. I'm looking at the computer, and I'm moving things, and I don't know what's going on. It's like I'm just stuck in this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like your brain can get so stretched, you no longer can be efficient to anything except being inconsistent. 
you're, you're in, a, you're in a, a circle of distraction. Well, some of us don't have that problem. Some of us say, I'm not distracted. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been distracted. You guys still with me? If you're with me, say, we're with you. All right, good. Some of us just don't like challenges. So we're talking about the absence of our relationship with God. So, you know, going to church, going to anything that poses a potential challenge to my existing life, I don't like that. That's threatening to me. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. It's stressful. I'd rather stay home and watch Netflix all night and not get up for church. It's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing to reflect how I could be better because I'm good the way I am. I, I like to take the easy road. And this is not a conscious thing always. This is just how we think. This is how we do. We justify why we're just going to stay the status quo and, and be absent. We justify it with excuses. Oh, well. Um, and I can, I can think of many. And... and, and <laughs> I probably shouldn't say all of them, but uh, we, we justify with, with these petty reasons. But under, underneath the petty reason, there's a deeper reason why we continually create the same scenarios in our life. There's a pattern. It's like you're on a hamster wheel. Wouldn't that look funny if they had hamster wheels for people? You're on the wheel. You're on the wheel, so you're moving and you're doing stuff like I was at the computer, but you're not going anywhere. Nothing's happening. You're just spinning. That's what happens when you're absent mentally from God, from people, from anywhere, it's detrimental to the relationship. You can be physically absent in a relationship. Some of you grew up with no parents. See, we're talking about the residual. Residual is the, the things that occur because of something you did earlier. Residual is a good word in, in most cases. Like uh, if you want to have a rental property that produces residual income, you invest in the property, and then it starts churning money for you residually without you being present hour by hour. That's residual. That's a good thing. Uh, music royalties are residual. When you put out the music and then people start buying, it starts producing on its own. But in this way, residual is actually a poison because if you're absent enough in your life, you're creating a residual impact to not only you and your children that will keep coming and not stop sometimes when you want it to stop later in your life when you realize what you did. And one of those examples is being physically absent. I know too many dads that left their children so young that the kids don't even know what they look like if they saw them when they grew up. They don't know what their voice sounds like. They don't know anything because the dad just upped and left. And guess what? There was a residual impact to the child. They grew up codependent on men. They grew up looking for things to find the way to fill the void that God intended for them to have through a father that they didn't have. And so they tried to find another way to fill the void. And it was a residual impact that the dad caused by being physically absent that now hurt the children and sometimes the children's children and so on until someone breaks the curse. You with me? Amen? I never had that. I had great parents. Me and my wife are happily married. What we're looking back now is you can do just as much damage by being absent here, even if you're sitting right there on the couch every night. See, I, I justify my reasons, but I don't remember anything from yesterday. Because I'm thinking about church. I, I got to think about God, babe. Sorry, kids, I can't play with you. I'm too tired because I did that other job, and I'm thinking about church stuff, or I'm thinking about this. I don't have time to play with you. I don't remember what you said to me. I got to look at my phone. All these videos keep popping up, and I got to watch them. I didn't know it was going to take three hours. Mentally absent. That's something, I, that's something I struggle with, my phone. 
I get on there for the right reasons, and then it slowly pulls you into the darkness. So it's a habit I'm trying to break. But that can do just as much damage because all of a sudden a couple years go by and your kids look older and you go, how'd they, how'd they grow so fast? You were there the whole time, but you weren't really there. You're absent. Now you're missing out on the best time of their life as it passes you by. And when you go to get it back, too late. You can't undo the residual impact of the absence you created in your heart and in your mind. Do you guys know what you do to others is a reflection to God? The parable, I think it's Matthew 25, 40. This is the first time I'm just whipping out scripture by verse. Not preacher-like of me. I'm not, I'm not that seasoned, but he says, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, my brethren, as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. He's talking about God. That when we don't partake in the blessing of people God has given us, how we treat our family, how we treat others, is how we treat God. The direct reflection. From them they came, from him they came, and the blessings go back. It's like a circle. What I do to them, God gives back to me. He blesses me. I give it to them. When I don't bless them, I don't spend time with them, I don't show love to them, you know, you reap what you sow. There's another way to say it. Or some non-Christians call it karma. We don't use that word. We use reap what you sow because we believe the Bible. I think my wife and I talk more over text and emojis than in person, honestly, each day. You know what an emoji is? It's kind of a new word. It's an icon. It's kind of like when they came out with cloud. A cloud is just a server that's somewhere else. And they said, we'll call it the cloud, and people will be mystified and think it's this magical thing. And it's really just a server. So they came out with emojis, which is really just an icon. And you can say a lot with emojis. My brother knows too well. I've sent him all kinds of crazy emojis. They got some stuff on there you would not believe in emojis. It's really, really kind of messed up. If you want to curse somebody in emojis, they got them. If you want to say how beautiful your wife is, they got them. So we, we have a relationship every day where we communicate mostly by text and emojis, and then there's a few minutes we actually look at each other. You know, eye contact. That's so weird. People look at each other and talk. That's so weird. We're being trained to be absent. It's a battle. So we, we, we realize we're, we're inconsistent, and it's a struggle. And we, we got all these reasons why. But now let's look a little deeper. Why, why really? Why really do they keep saying they can't because their child keeps getting sick and all this? But why do they really not want to come to church? What's the deeper reason? Because when it's every time, it's not a coincidence anymore. There's a reason people avoid things and choose to be absent, whether it's physically or mentally. There's a deeper reason. We say it's because we're too busy, but what's the underlying reason? Sometimes it's conviction. Especially people who, when we're talking about church, they think because of their experience, like my experience of getting teased in school, my thought of school was damaged. Doesn't mean all schools I'd go to, I'd be teased, so I just never wanted to go to school again. Well, they kind of think of church. They think if you come to church, we're going to tell you what you can't do. We're going to tell you how awful you are. We're going to thump you with a Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bible thumpers. Thumper. That's a, a hard word to say, clearly. Thump. They have all these preconceived notions, and most times it's convictions. They, see, they don't understand that the things they feel like they have to give up, you just don't want to do. 
when God changes your heart, you just change the way you think about what's important to you. It's, when I became a Christian, I didn't give up anything. I just changed what I did in my life. Things changed naturally, and I actually was happy, and it felt good. But they don't know that. Sometimes, sometimes conviction will stop you from being present, especially in a church situation. It could be with a relationship. It could be not only to God, but to people. Maybe you hurt somebody, and you're so shamed by what you did that they forgave you, and you can't forgive yourself, so you just don't come around them. We're talking about deadbeat dads. I know deadbeat dads. They've been forgiven. They still won't come around. There's something wrong inside of them that they won't come around their children. Even when the kid wants them and loves them, they still won't come around. There's something wrong. There's a conviction. There's a damage there that makes them feel they can't come around because they're so shamed with guilt. And even when you confess to God and God, uh, God forgives you, we still won't forgive ourselves sometimes. Maybe it's not conviction. Maybe I just... Avoid this person, place, or thing. It can be a place. I don't like churches. They make me feel sinful. I don't like, um, you know, I don't like certain things. They, they make me think of something that, so that I avoid it. But, but most often people, I don't want to be around that person for whatever reason. I want to be absent. I don't like what they did to me. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe we just don't have a desire because our experience, like in church, was boring. And we mentally checked out, like in school. I didn't like school because I was mentally checked out. I didn't get fed in the way I guess I could learn. And until I got to college, everything changed. I started enjoying school, and I started reciprocating what I learned. My grades changed. Everything changed because I started having a desire. But our culture has bred uh, stereotypes all over, especially, you know, again, with church. Because this is about God. This is about coming to God. This is about the biggest absence we've got to avoid. That's the one with God. We had a bad church experience. We're damaged. So we like to assume that's the way it's going to be, and we just don't have a desire, even though maybe God's never penetrated our heart yet to know what desire actually is. We don't even know what it is because we've never been there. When I was a kid, we went to church all the time, more my, my brother and sister, but we'd go to church on Sunday nights, and when I hear the word church as a kid, this is what pops in my mind. Clip on tie, Hot Wheels car, playing the pews. That's, that's my memory of church. It's not Jesus. I've never thought about God. Why would I think about God when we're talking about church? Joke. I was five or six. I would play in the pews, and that's okay when you're five. It's not as deep, but we kind of keep the mentality as an adult. We just want to play in the pews. We don't really want to know God. We want to go play in the pews and go to McDonald's after if we're lucky, if we beg our mom long enough. I had to clip on tie. I was five. I couldn't tie a tie. It was one time I had a Superman jammies underneath the, the button-up shirt, you know, and I wanted to go to church and do one of these. Like Superman. My mom made me take it off before. I was so mad. Another memory I have. So my expectation of church was not accurate. So I wanted to avoid it. So I, I hated going to church. Because God hadn't pricked my heart yet. We're always looking for fulfillment, but we look in the wrong places. We develop false expectations. We get lots of information, but we're not getting fed. Data overload. I went to church, and I got there, and the preacher just preached a spew of data, and I don't remember a thing he said, and I'm good for the week. That is not a relationship with God. You need to be fed. You need to feel like you're changing. You need to be growing. It's called sanctification. Once you've been born again, you become sanctified in your walk. That's why it's called a walk. 
So some of us are absent because we don't even want to go because the preacher just talks too long. That's why I got to watch. Don't want to do that. One seed, not a million seeds. Talked about conviction. Some of it's the fear of change. We don't like the idea that something might have to change about us if we go entertain the idea of developing a relationship with God or in this extracurricular program. My boys are in wrestling, and my boys avoided wrestling in the beginning because of anxiety, because my son knew he was going to have to get over his anxiety if he wanted to do wrestling. So he'd rather just stay home. And every week it's a battle. But once he gets there, he remembers, hey, I actually like this. But his, his habit of avoiding it and being absent is a battle every week. So absence too frequently can create a permanent scar. I have relatives who was absent most of my life. And when they're absent, it's always one of these things like, one day we'll rekindle that relationship. But this was an older person. So in my mind, into my late 20s, early 20s, late 20s, I thought one day they're not going to be around if I don't try to connect with them. But I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and eventually the absence was permanent because he died. The residual impact of permanent absence, you can't get it back. can't get it back. Once there's not air in our lungs to breathe, we can't get it back. So it can, it can be detrimental. Church attendance isn't a report card for Christ. We must be connected at the heart. And it's better to be tardy than absent. Even in school, the punishment was less severe if you're just tardy. And you still had a chance to learn what the teacher is saying. But if you're just absent, you're throwing in the towel. You're justifying, I'm not going to be there. Those, no point. We can't sleep on God. we got to open our spiritual eyes and ears and see that we have to build a relationship here. We used to do a lot of youth concerts. This wasn't a youth concert. This is a full church concert. But we do these ad hoc, off-the-cuff concerts uh, informally. And this last one we did was with, with, with another church. And it was 100-degree temperatures out. And we had been playing all day music outside. And we're just sweating up a storm. And I'm, like pretty, I'm a pretty big stickler on time. And actually, the first service, I was 20 minutes late. And I was, it was coming unglued on the inside because I'm never late. And it bothered me. And so we're playing. And it's like 6.30 on a Saturday now. And it's 100-degree weather. And someone says, oh, well, I got one friend coming. They want to see the, they want to see the music. And I was the guy saying, hey, you're crossing the line of what's expected of someone who's volunteering their time. You can't ask these people to keep going. There, one guy was about to faint. He was the bigger guy. And the heat, he'd been going all day. He was literally about to pass out. I said, no, I can't wait. My timeline says that's it. It's time to go home. It's time to leave the situation. I caved in out of pressure. And let me tell you that this event that was held, they spent thousands of dollars on it. Many people came through that day. And one person came back to church the next week and became a member of that church. Guess who it was? It was the one that was 45 minutes late that I didn't want to wait on. 
And she became not only a church member, but she became a spearhead in this church to cause revival in the worship, to lift the whole spirit of the church because she was so on fire for God. So my timeline said, it's time to be absent. I don't need to do any more. I've done enough. That's it, God. Thanks. Have a good day. I'm going home to eat pizza or emos with my family. But God said, well, the blessing's coming 45 minutes late. It's not late. It's just late to you. So had I chosen to be absent and left earlier, we would have missed the biggest blessing that whole summer. It, it, she was the greatest member that came and made the biggest stir in the church that entire year. She's still there. We have to be careful when we choose to be absent. See, when my heart is engaged, what happens when you're absent, when your heart's in it? Anybody? Anybody? You don't want to be absent now. It's the opposite. What's that, what's that figure of speech? Absence. Absent makes the heart grow. What is it? Flounder? Like the fish? Flounder. Oh, fonder. Yeah. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So when you're absent and your heart is in it, it hurts. You don't want to be absent. Right now, my, my heart is in this. I don't want to be absent. If I was absent today, right now, I'd be, I'd be coming unglued. If I was, had the flu or sick, I, someone would have to drag me here because my heart is so in it that I, can, I, I don't want to be absent. I used to take these really nice trips, and I'd, I'd go for work, and they'd put me in these awesome hotels, and they'd give me awesome food, and there'd be awesome views and all these things. But my entire family was back home, and in the first 10 minutes, I'd be calling home going, what are you guys doing? Well, we're just watching TV like every day. And I'd get so depressed because I just wanted to be with them. Because my heart was engaged. Absent now makes the heart grow fonder. That's how it is when we actually develop that relationship with Christ that he's designed for us, that Paul is talking about, that we may have the fullness of Christ in us that most, unfortunately, don't see a lot of times in their, in their whole life because they never learned it that way. They never learned the depth of what Christ really meant. They just treated church like an attendance thing, and it's so much greater that, than that. Church is just an avenue to help us get there in our daily walk, which is every day, even when we're not at church. So when my heart is engaged, absent hurts us because we are connected at the heart. Fulfillment happens at the heart. And the absence of your heart in your relationship with God will prevent you from finding fulfillment because fulfillment happens in your heart when God fills you with love. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 26, the writer says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. We have to get our heart engaged. The Bible talks about the heart being a garden. So you can get in that place, but the weeds can come back if you let them. You know what I'm saying? You got to keep the garden tilled. You got to till the garden. That's your heart. Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and the, the four types of seed and the good seed and, and the other three seeds. He's talking about your heart. So it's, it's a never-ending battle of tilling your heart and staying in that place where you're engaged with God or the devil will try to just take it from you. Our lives follow our heart. The love of Christ can't be measured, but Paul says if we could just comprehend how deep it really is. He wants to dwell in your heart. If God can get your heart, he can change your whole life. 
When my heart changes, <laughs> my priorities change. You guys like bacon. We talk about food. It's going to be a great illustration. As soon as you say the word bacon, we're good. We're good. Oh, bacon? I want to hear what he has to say. Well, my family likes to make bacon. You get, a, you get a nice pork belly. Why are we talking about bacon? You'll see. We get a nice pork belly from Costco, and you cure the meat. It takes 10 days. I can go to the store and buy a pack of bacon. It takes 10 days. Then you got to drain it. you got to rinse it. Then you got to cut it to the thickness you like, and it is a pain to cut. You ever cut pork belly? It's, it's not like perfectly straight. It's like all over, and you got a, j- a jankety knife, and it's just not cutting good. And you end up with this mangled pork belly that looks like snake, but it's actually bacon. As long as it tastes good, right? Then you got to take the thing. This is what I was doing yesterday. I took it out of the 10-day curing process and put it on a smoker, cut it up. In about four hours, it's going to be beautifully rendered, perfect bacon that you've ever had. It's nothing like the store. There's no blubber chunks like when you fry it in a pan. It is perfect. It's like bacon jerky. It's heavenly. Well, I had some problems. I couldn't get the smoker to start, but I I put so much time into this bacon. I couldn't get the, the smoker to start. I finally got that to start. Then I had a problem from two previous grease fires of cooking bacon on the smoker, and this is my third attempt, and I said, I'm not going to create a grease fire again, and what I do, I create another grease fire, and the black from the, the enamel that has been burned off the smoker is falling onto my bacon. Ten days. A lot of love in this bacon, and the black is like poison. It's the enamel off the pit, so then I'm freaking out. We're having company coming over, and I'm grabbing the bacon, and I'm running it back inside, and I'm hosing down the bacon that was on my smoker to get all the black stuff off because I figure if I just ingest a little bit, I won't die, and they won't know, but if I leave it all on there, we're going to all die, so i got to fix this. So then I did that. So then I'm running back out the door, and all the juice off the, the bacon came pouring all over my floor because I tilted the pan, and now we've got a bacon shine smell on our hardwood floors. God, what are you doing to me? Say that. Long story short, I overcured this bacon. And if you overcure bacon, it's so salty, it'll make you vomit. You stick it in your mouth. It'll take all the moisture out of your mouth instantly. I overcured the bacon, and all 10 pounds of bacon had to go in the trash after three weeks of love. Now, the point of this illustration doesn't have the, the fairy tale ending like it normally would when I've made bacon. It turns out quite well. But the point is, my heart was so engaged at this bacon that there's no bacon at the store that could comp- compensate for the amount of love I put in this bacon myself. That the work involved didn't bother me because I had passion and I was engaged in my heart to make good bacon. It's the same thing with Christ, it's the same thing. We get it when we talk about food, but we don't see it because we can't see God. We actually can see God. Different ways, manifestations. That's what he wants for you. He wants that kind of love relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be absent. This limited window we have of time called life. My motivation is based on the direction my heart is looking. If I'm motivated to the world, I'm going to follow the world. God's over there. If I'm motivated to God, my heart's going to follow God. My life's going to follow God. And then I'm going to find the path to righteousness. I'm going to discover my perfect plan, like we say in our vision statement. The path to righteousness is sitting right in front of us. 
And we can just kind of push it off and keep doing what we're doing and decide to be absent. But you don't want to be absent when God decides to use you to do something for someone else. If you've never felt that, if you've never felt what it's like when God uses you to bless somebody and you see them change, there is no feeling on it like earth. It's better than a new Corvette. That, unfulf- that unconditional feeling. You can't feel it, though, unless you've tried it. But you've got to try it to feel it. And if you choose to be absent, you never try it. And then you never know. And then you say, well, I never knew to begin with. I'll just be ignorant. You don't, you don't want to miss it because it's rewarding. Don't be absent when God tries to bless your children through you. See, it's residual, remember? If you're absent, probably your children are going to be absent. So you have to be the vessel of God to their life, or they're not going to shine their light to their children. They're going to cut the light off like the absent dad. Maybe God wants to change your children, but he's going to do it through you. And if you don't show up, the residual impact is your children don't show up. It's not just you when you don't show up. It's everyone that looks to you for guidance, parenting, wisdom. It's everyone that is connected to you suffers. What if God could use me? I don't know what that feels like. When I was, when I was in church and I just played in the pews, I never thought, what if God could use me? But when I started to give a little, the reward became a lot. So then I started craving this feeling of being used. And then people don't understand what that's like because they've never been used yet. What if God could use me? Well, God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. So if you allow him to try to use you and you show up, you say, God, use me. Lord, use me. He will find a way and he will take you there, that place of fulfillment you've never tasted yet. Some of you are sick. Some of you have injuries. You're losing hope. You look to the world for temporary solutions, but God can heal all problems. And you don't want to be absent when healing is right on your doorstep and God's delivered it to you in this perfect package and you keep going over to the, you know, you keep going over here to find it and he's delivered it right to your doorstep. Don't be absent when healing is right at your doorstep. You have to get your heart engaged. Until you get your heart engaged, God can't change your life. If we could stand to our feet, we're going to close in prayer. Let's sing a little bit of this song. So God, we are so thankful. I actually dance. I didn't used to dance in church, but something happened to me where I started dancing the last two or three years. And people think I'm weird. Well, I used to play guitar, and so it's a natural movement. I just can't help it sometimes because the love of God is so strong. I can't, I can't be like this. I used to, though. I was the guy who would never do anything. Don't, I said, don't. Don't tell me to raise my hands. I was rebellious. But some time ago, he got my heart. And when he got my heart, I threw it all away. I said, I don't even care. I don't even care. If they don't like me, I want to do what God wants me to do. And I started, I don't know, I started like, I don't know what happened to me. I'd, I'd be dancing with my guitar, electric rock guitar, dancing gospel. It was weird. But that's what happened. I don't know. We're so thankful, Lord, that we have this chance to worship you freely, to be in your house today and receive your word. There's so many 
parts of the world that don't have this privilege. But we pray, God, that we go beyond our physical attendance with you and we actually engage our life with you, not just here at church, that if we never come back to church again, we still don't miss out on what you had for us because we know it's our life you need to change, not just our Sunday, but our life, that it's a walk with God. We pray that this word be on our heart, that we forever remember that we are engaged with you and that it's a forever union and that we can't be separated. Nothing on this earth can separate us once we have that union of love that you've designed for us. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If the house of God would please say amen. We're going to sing a little bit and then we're going to go. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know much about football, but if you're going to watch football, go team. That's, that's all. I don't even know who's playing. <laughs> now the darkness fades. 